This hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast. There it is, is where it is for comedy. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. I'm trying out new slogans. If you have any ideas, why don't you tweet us at There It Is Pod. You can even Facebook it to us at There It Is Pod and email us There It Is Pod at Gmail. Fun episode today. You're hearing this awesome theme music here. It was created by a man named Neil Brooks mentioned that on the show before he is great he's from south carolina he's a good pal of mine and we talked to him today in our 50th episode it's a big one yay 50 can't believe i've been doing it almost a year and neil was the best guest to have for that we talk about so much let's get right to it my chat with neil brooks you play a ton of instruments because it's showcased in the theme music correct (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right. right. All- so you you play all of them. So you had I heard bass in there, there's uh, guitar. Bass, yeah. uh, right. What else do you have in the in the theme that you're playing? What other instruments do you play? Well, there's some keyboard stuff. Like I mm-hmm. think I put some organ in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some Hammond organ. There's guitar. Mm-hmm. And there's like a synthesized horn section from like the '80s kind of <laughs> thing happening. <laughs> but uh, I had actually made that to be replaced with a real horn section. It was just kind of like right. demo the sound, but then I just I just left it. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's all those instruments. They're really just keyboards, drums, bass, and guitar. I think that was it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I've gotten rep- I've gotten a lot of compliments for it, even by oh. like people i don't know just someone online just uh there's one person who uh tweeted and just said something real nice about the about the theme song so that was pretty fun the uh the rap that's on it's obviously not me and and you credit that's not you that's not me it's a guy named i can't do that i wish Uh, i could (laughs) i wish i could um i could do the full rap of jam on it but i can't you know make it up Yeah, I'd actually like to have that guy on uh, to talk about how he does that because I found him on Fiverr, and yeah, um, that's cool. Yeah, so uh, you know he he creates a lot of stuff just from you know he's commissioned to to do it. So yeah. it'd be an interesting process to talk about. Um, so wh- cool. you, what you told me about the music that uh, we right. use for the theme. Right. It was going to be for another project, and exactly. they uh, went with a different. You gave them a few options, and they went with a different option. Uh, and you, right. grace, like graciously, offered it to me, and I jumped right on it because it was a real fun sounding theme <laughs> music. So I, I jumped on it. Um, when you create stuff like that, what is your process? Like, what are you starting with? Like, let's even just talk specifically about this theme. Did you start with the baseline or what? Um, actually, yes, actually I did start with, um, sort of an idea. I, uh, well, first of all, that was for a, um, I, I won't say who it is, but it was a mm-hmm. cable, com- not cable, com- like a, like a telecommunications company mm-hmm. that rhymes with it rhymes with 33d <laughs> anyway um it's a it's, it's something you would watch on tv okay and they have a lot of uh, tv shows that people watch and they have a lot of new shows and they needed a theme song for a new show that they did and they commissioned me to make one oh. and what, what i offered them was i think it was three different songs mm-hmm. so i didn't really know i mean they didn't give me much to go on so i gave them kind of a funky tune which you ended up with mm-hmm. um i gave them a folky acoustic guitar song which was just instrumental guitar and then sort of like one of those little things that's like a news you know at the beginning of a news program like a mm-hmm. the nightly news kind of thing <laughs> and i they actually wrote me back and said, um, can you make something that um, is kind of in between the news one and the folky one? And so I kind of went with that. But 
what I did with the one that ended up as yours is I kind of took just and you know I took sort of a bass line mm-hmm. and then played some organ with it and, and kind of got a feel for it and then just kind of added a melody to it after that um, and yeah that's how I made it. So you're basically it's kind of like if we're gonna put this in improv terms. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like you're taking a suggestion. Either that's a person saying, "Can you give me something in between that a new song and the folky song?" Uh, and you you go from there, or uh, you are fiddling around, so to speak, and find some sort of groove that you like, and then you use that as inspiration, and you go from there. Right. Yes. Exactly. Um, and there's a uh, bass line that is at the beginning of your theme song mm-hmm. that is basically like, there's like a drum break and then there's like this kind of thing, mm-hmm. which I, that bass line is, it's not a sample, but it's a remake of a bass line from, uh, who's the guy with the flip mode squad? Um, Buster, I know, Rhymes. Buster Rhymes. Yeah. Well, he, he did a song and I don't even remember the name of it, but like it got stuck in my head for a long time. And often when I'm, you know, doing something around the house, I just have this repeating thing in my head. And that baseline, I'd be vacuuming, thinking, you know. And um, so yeah, I just kind of took that as an inspiration and kind of remade it a little bit and made that the break point and then put the song into it. So no wonder using a rap song seems so natural i didn't think of that that's true yeah natural fit yeah speaking of fitting things when you're playing by yourself essentially what are you thinking of and thinking about when you are trying to then add the guitar part or drums or organs to like what what inspires those choices like the choices to use the instrument and the choices in the musical direction that you go well, it depends on if I'm in the studio doing something like with your song, I'm mm-hmm. trying to make, I sort of have an idea of what the finished product should sound like, and mm-hmm. it goes together kind of like a Lego project. Mm-hmm. So I kind of make room for things. Okay, so because you had that baseline, mm-hmm. uh, you had an idea of like, oh, this is what probably should happen. Exactly right, yeah. So I had this baseline in my head, and then I thought... Um, you know, it'd be good as like a meters kind of drum or a James Brown kind of drum riff. And I had that in my head and then like, okay, well, if that's going on, then I need, you know, sort of a slime, the family stone guitar Uh part or something like that. And they kind of go together and, you know, so you're matching a lot of things. I am kind of matching a lot of things. I'm taking, I'm taking inspiration on each instrument Mm -hmm. as if I was in one of those other kind of places, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm trying. I'm not really. It's not really like ripping off someone, but more riffing. Well, off. yeah, and also, I mean, it's that difference between ripping off an inspiration. You know, inspiration exactly. is oh, that's a style in which one can play, and I'm gonna play yep. within that style. Like that's that's you know different than uh, what's that song that Sam Smith wrote? Like then the Tom Petty song. You know, it's. Oh, that's right. I just read about that. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's like Ed Sheeran, too. So it's kind of like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> Why are all these songs? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Those are those songs. I hear those songs every now and then and think, well, even, you know, like some people go through a lot of legal battles, too, if it's yeah. too close. Like, you know, um, both of those guys have actually. And right, Sheeran yeah. might be about to go through another one because of. Uh, uh, they're saying there's a TLC song. Um, I think it's a TLC song that he's essentially Don't mess doing. with TLC. I love them, man. I know. Yeah, it's it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's total side talk. But as a musician, you must notice those sort of things often. I do. Yeah, the first time I heard uh, what blurred lines, mm-hmm. I was just I just had to pull over my car. I was so angry. You know, <laughs> like, it's so weird. Because I had that same experience, and I'm not a musician. When I heard the songs next to each other, I could go like, oh, well, maybe they're a little different from each Mm -hmm. other. However, Mm -hmm. it's still pretty close. Um, Close enough where you feel that it might be a sample. I don't know. I don't know if people should have paid money to the Marvin Gaye 
uh, family or not, but it just seems so close. But I've heard yeah. of, it's that's something that's that's like the one song thievery discussion where the musicians I know are split. Half of them are like total thievery, and the other half are like, eh, it's different enough. I don't well, know. To me, from the musician standpoint, and being a studio musician too. I know a lot of the work that went into mm-hmm. the original Marvin Gaye recordings and mm-hmm. arranged. And we're not talking something that went over, you know, an hour and a half during an afternoon mm-hmm. where they recorded it. They spent a long time getting the sounds, getting the instruments right. And for somebody 30 years later to come along, use the same instruments, the same recording techniques, the same, you know, beats per minute, the same kind of falsettos thing. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I was so angry. Well, that's true. <laughs> it's not like. It's not like just the guitar part. Is no. You know what I mean? It is It is like a multi-layered sort of thing. That's the same. Right. Yeah, it's like somebody taking, you know, uh, I don't know if this works this way, but maybe uh, someone's famous recipe and, and taking the, taking each ingredient apart right. and using the same ingredients and then, make, and then saying, I cooked it a little longer, but, you know, uh-huh. it's different now. Yeah, you know? or they like switched one thing. It was like, well, I didn't put time in it. Uh, right. I know jokes work the same way. I've followed a lot of people who, you know, there's a lot of comedians, lots of real famous comedians, especially now, um, who have used a lot of prior, you know, I don't want to say inspiration, but they'll just reword a joke sometimes. You know? Yeah, and like, it's that whole discussion of like parallel thought, like it just, it just, some of it just depends. Like some jokes are so basic that, I could see two comics word for word coming up with the same thing independently. But then there are also all those cases where you just hear a bunch of stuff and there's it's in the back of your brain and you don't necessarily yeah. notice it consciously. And then sure. it just comes up. Like that's happened to me before where I started to like riff on a joke and then I thought, wait a second, this sounds familiar. I, I thankfully caught oh. myself. And I texted a guy and was like, hey, did you have a joke like this? And he said, yeah. And I was like, dang it. Like, I kind of took it a different direction. But um, I thankfully noticed the resemblance and that and there was least, something about it. You reached out to someone who, you know, who right. you thought had it. Yeah, did and I, I definitely think that there are comics who have uh, recognized it and then said, ah, and then went with it anyway. Uh, and that's where it's like, okay, you crossed the line there, but it's tough. Yeah, I've With- heard a few, um, very few, but I've heard like, you know, even in the regional places where I go around here where you used to live, <laughs> sometimes I'll hear someone tell a joke that is brilliant. And then the next thing they say, I might actually think, wow, I think that might be something super faint, like George Carlin, like uh, right? don't rip George Carlin. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, We've all heard George Carlin. Mm-hmm. You know? That's the and thing. It's so weird. It's like everyday people will do that. And sometimes and I, everyday people end up at an open mic and then they're just telling street jokes. <laughs> and everyone in the audience has heard the jokes. They're like, yeah, my uncle told that joke to me when I was eight. What are you doing right now? Why are you on stage doing this unoriginal material? It happens in music just the same way. You know? Yeah. The same with like Ed Sheeran, who is doing. Mm-hmm. I like Ed Sheeran. I do too, but yeah. Sometimes he'll play something like, you know, a new song will come out and I'll hear a progression and I'm like, oh God, man, that's just the most pedestrian thing I've ever heard in my life, you know, (laughs) or or he'll use a phrase, you know, or like a a cliche. And if Mm -hmm. it's, you turn a cliche, it's kind of cool. I like that, but you Mm -hmm. know, I don't know. The the worst offenders to me are modern country. I mean, that's just the worst thing ever to me because they... They will take a cliche, like say, for instance, if we came up with like two birds, one stone, we'll make a song called Two Birds, One Stone. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, all they'll do is just make a laundry list of things. Things that are. You know, <laughs> that does happen road, a lot. <laughs> back truck, a beer koozie, and, you know. There was, and, yeah. there was a song that somebody did that was like a. It was like. Or some YouTube video of all the country music tropes of that year and they just rattled off all of them they yeah. just said clips of all of them and of course like florida georgia line was in it 
sure. Yeah. Um, seen that where they take it in like Pro Tools and they'll mute one of them and then let the other play. And it's like the same verse. Oh, and they'll gosh. even play like the guitar solos and they're the same. Oh, yeah. man. And yeah. I, I, I guess that just comes from not pushing yourself artistically. And then also just the business oh. of making uh, big time music where you have to make money. And so. Yeah. You know, a lot of those guys, that, especially in Nashville, in the record companies, um, they have. Well, this actually kind of started in the 80s when we had like. Uh, there were record labels in the 70s that were uh, supportive of artists like Jackson Brown. Uh-huh. Like there was a Electra Records that supported Jackson Brown, Linda Rodstadt, you know, Warren Zvon, people like that. Mm-hmm. In the late 70s and the early 80s something changed where they started hiring bean counters and stockbrokers to run those companies and they said okay well we're not really interested in supporting an artist anymore so much as Loverboy who's who brings us millions and millions of dollars you know and so they'll incorporate their company and sell shares and so they just have mm. to sell and sell and sell and so you know if something sells like Michael Jackson's Thriller if Thriller sells then you know the next person they sign needs to make something that sounds that way right or they're maybe even only signing people who are similar to that exactly right which we kind of ended up with you know with um who was uh barry gordy from motown his son was maxwell do you remember maxwell or was it rockwell 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 yeah yeah Yeah. well different guy rockwell did that song somebody's watching me right and it had jackson on it right the quincy jones you know thing Mm-hmm. And it sold millions. Yeah. You know? But that's yeah. what I wanted. A cookie cutter of Michael Jackson. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It totally. Because Rockwell didn't have any other hits. The hit he had was the one that uh, Michael Jackson sang the hook on. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that's the yep. best he could do. Uh, yeah. yeah. Country music I, is falling into that big time. They're oh just gosh. like country music, you know. Yeah. The. I've, I, a couple of years ago, I was uh, I did the short tour with this this band. I don't know if I should say their name, but um, I will. They're Sugarland, <laughs> so you can do that if you want. Um, but uh, they actually literally had in their bus. I was just doing openings for them, by the way. I wasn't playing with them, but uh, mm-hmm. they had in their bus a whiteboard, and what they would do was put down keywords and phrases that they thought were catchy, and they would write down little keywords they thought would sell a song based wow. around those catchy terms and make like these bubble ideas and stuff and i just thought this is not i don't want any part of this it's like buzzwords then it is exactly what it is yes uh, key sales words you know mm. it's, it's buzzwords so that's what they did and they 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 made a lot of money doing it you know, i don't even and, know if they're around and then yeah. you add to that when a new style of play becomes really popular then the albums that are made immediately after that are all trying to use that style of play. Exactly. And yeah, so it sounds the same lyrically, it sounds the same musically, mm-hmm. and it's all because they're trying to sell, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I mean, I, I don't know, to a certain degree, I get it. If you're in that world of big business, then you are going to be focused on like how can we get sales up and with sales going down and everything they're freaking out about it but i mean yeah. there's good well, music in the 80s and it was selling it was and, selling that's right it was all very different <laughs> and then when in the 90s came we had nirvana which was really you know a totally different thing but yeah that and then and also nirvana. like tupac and you know oh, the, the gangster tupac, rap yes. in the early 90s it, like the early 90s was a like a, a really great era from for music i mean a lot of really yeah. great stuff coming out in that era um yep. and uh, in the pop world the rock world and rap like this all this stuff was just sort of booming and yeah and um britney spears and spice girls came along <laughs> that's right <laughs> you know, all that right before britney spears and them came along you know we had that whole like uh they call it kind of grunge and then the gangster rap kind of they kind of go side by side we had that for mm-hmm. a while and then I don't remember what year it was. Right in the mid '90s, that kind of stopped, and we had the Macarena, oh. and like that went crazy, right? And uh-huh. then there was that weird, like there was a bunch of knockoffs, like the Ketchup song or something after that. There and then, were, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of went whoop, into bubblegum, and we had Britney Spears, mm-hmm. and you know, there was like Ricky Martin. <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking Ricky Martin too. Yeah, I mean, it was all yeah. the like really bubblegum stuff, and you know. If you like bubblegum stuff, fine. There's bubblegum stuff I like, but oh, 
absolutely. Yeah. You know, it it just sells. it sells, and then people started copying, and then people started copying the copy. I have this theory. Uh, I've heard some people in the last year kind of make fun of Pearl Jam, and they're younger people. I was like, huh. but, but like all the people I know who are musicians who are over 30, uh, mm-hmm. but not like 50-year-olds necessarily, but like people in their 30s, they're a pretty legit band. They've always been considered that. So what's the change? And I, my theory is that it's because they Pearl Jam reminds people of stuff that we all make fun of now. Like Nickelback is a copy of right. uh, Creed. And Creed yeah. is a copy of Pearl Jam. And oh, you also Pearl throw Puddle yeah. of Mud in there. That's exactly right. I never thought of it that way, but you're right. Creed was, I mean, he even tried to sing like Eddie Vedder. Gosh, and, you know, can't stand Scott Stapp. <laughs> I know. I mean, he's, it was just a, an abomination, really. It was like, if you, like you're exactly saying, it was a copy, but it was like, we put a, you know, a picture in a copier mm-hmm. and then copied the copy and then copied that copy and then ended up with Creed, you know? Yeah. And it's, <laughs> and then, it's uh it's, it is interesting though this like thin line that there is because you know obviously you see James Brown and then you see uh Michael Jackson and Prince and mm-hmm. of course they're innovative and they're legends and they were phenomenal talents but you also see the influence and the inspiration that mm-hmm. James Brown had on them and then you mm-hmm. listen to some of prince's music and there's some you know similar guitar styles and like he's he learned so much from that but it's not this like blatant copy and it's not ripping off because he wasn't playing the same melodies or or riffs or something like that it was similar styles Uh, it was like something in the style of but different and it was very different and he he actually would like make an allusion to yeah, like I remember a few songs Prince would do where he would um, he would throw a little, you know, nod to James Brown in a respectful way, right? You know, saying one of the phrases James was known for, and then yeah. you know, give yeah, a yeah. nod. You know, it wasn't a ripoff; it was just a nod. Right? It's like reminds me had- of something James used to say. I like him better. That's right. I That's like him right. that. Yeah, I love Cream. Yeah. I love that song. <laughs> that <laughs> song is off. so good. Uh, that was Get Off. Yeah, that was Get oh, Off. Get Off yeah, that was such a like, crazy awesome song. Yeah, That was one of the first videos I ever I remember being banned from MTV because I was young and I was like, you know, it came out and I think I saw it one afternoon and I was like, this is crazy. This is kind of <laughs> wacky. And uh, and then all of a sudden, like, Kurt Loder comes on or something and says, yes, the video for uh, Get Off uh, will not be played anymore on MTV. And I was like, what did I miss? What oh, happened? Oh, wow. I did not remember that. I wonder if I was just seeing it on BET or something all the time. Yeah. No, well, there was, like, flashes of nudity in it. But it was kind of, like, based on a Chicago, like, I think a scene in the Chicago play. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was kind of a, you know, it was super oh, hedonistic and stuff. I never realized that. But, yeah, there was, like, flashes of nudity or something. And I'm sure, you know, Pat Buchanan or somebody got pissed off. Or... <laughs> Tippy Gore or whatever. What's her name? Tippy, Tippy Gore, yeah. Tipper. Uh, Tipper. Tipper Gore. Yeah. Tipper Gore. <laughs> she Tippy. probably had a cow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's oh how God. those uh, uh, parental you know, advisory stickers are on Albert's right. because of Tipper Gore and a couple other people. But yeah, she was I one was, of them. She was one of them. That's right. It was a big deal when I got to buy GNR Lies. Mm-hmm. And, uh. It was like a record with that sticker on it because my dad was there. <laughs> <laughs> what? I just want to hear patient. <laughs> it's so wild. And it's so funny when you see like a kid standing in line at GameStop for the new Grand Theft Auto and his mom's with him and she has no idea what's in the game. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, no. This is like, he's going to get the play. So, yeah, that yeah. sticker did a lot of good. <laughs> people easily got around that oh way easy yeah and and then when i got my copy of that gnr record home you know we just made copies on tapes for friends so mm-hmm. i mean <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you know like some music it has all these sort of nuances about it and you're talking about how you find that inspiration when you're playing alone but you also play with a band uh, sure. So, yeah. what is the difference when you're playing with that band and you're improvising or 
uh, or jamming? Oh, it's actually it's a lot easier with a band because I'm you know I just try to make room for people, and then when it's my turn to play something, I just kind of go for it, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, like the band I play with now, I I've played with several bands, but I have a Cuban band now, which is oh cool. Which is, yeah, a uh, grupo called Dio, which is me. It, it, it translates to a group of dictators, mm-hmm. which is kind of perfect because it, we're all kind of strong-headed. But um, we uh, so it, at some point in time in a Cuban band, we have a lot of percussion, obviously. Mm-hmm. But there's places that are specifically placed for bass guitar or bass. It's an upright bass. So, mm-hmm. and then there's um me and what's called a trez player a trez player or a quattro player and a, the trez is an instrument that's like it's if you think of an instrument that looks like a small guitar that's got mm-hmm. three strings but the three strings are doubled so there's actually six but those three strings they have individual pitches and um so i have to make room for him and he has to make room for me in certain places right and that's about it you know but that's kind of cool we just kind of play off each other <clears throat> yeah me. and in those in that case you're not thinking or at least you're maybe trying to ignore the thought of oh this is where the song's probably gonna go yeah you just kind of let it go and feel it you know um i mean you do kind of anticipate where things get louder and softer and dynamic but mm-hmm. um and i do know where there are certain stops that are going to happen but other than that it's just kind of a blank canvas you know which is right. actually totally different than i play with I play with a Morning Dove, which is a folk singer-songwriter. Oh, yeah? Um, so? She writes her own music, and those, those songs are highly arranged. Mm-hmm. In other words, like I have parts that I make for guitar, and I have harmony parts that I sing, and they're always kind of the same Like each time we play. It's kind of okay. like playing a Tchaikovsky song or something that's written out. Right. You just have to memorize it, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is weird, in a way, because... It has to be, it's more perfected, I guess, if that makes sense. Right. It's not as loose, you know, it's not as loose, it's planned out. But um, what's weird about that is, though, I'm used to playing in more loose atmospheres. And mm-hmm. so <laughs> sometimes things happen, as you know, performing as you do on stage, stuff happens. Right. And when shit happens, you got to be able to recover without falling all over the place. So, right. Um, that's an interesting difference but uh trying to play a music that is super highly arranged and and it has a place it knows where it's supposed to go and then all of a sudden a string breaks or mm-hmm. somebody you know you know done something weird then you just got to recover it's weird yeah but and then it's just like oh how yeah when like a yeah. string breaks you just have to figure out <laughs> where the yeah what's string. the new way that you have to play it <laughs> exactly right yeah <laughs> exactly um it's <laughs> I hardly ever have that happen, but I imagine it's something like when you're when you're performing. I'm guessing like if you have a flow and you have a rhythm going, and somebody maybe yells something from the audience, not like a heckler, but maybe a heckler, then it changes your rhythm. Right. Yeah. Especially for stand up, because yeah. your interaction is with the crowd, and so if I have this joke that's essentially planned you know like i I know what i'm gonna say i may slightly reword it each time but um you know it's basically written and it's it's structured a a specific way so if something that i wasn't expecting happens it does make you either have to pause at a time you weren't planning on it or uh just change your rhythm ever so slightly just so that the punchline can land at the right time like there's just that kind of stuff you just have to like power through but then in improv if someone's yelling something out because i'm like in the scene with somebody else it's uh you just have to completely ignore it i see so you're like in a bubble kind of yeah because for the people in the scene uh it's a it's its own world they didn't hear that right. person in the audience like it's it's just that whole breaking the fourth wall thing right sometimes we do it but generally we want to act like there is that fourth wall there that's interesting yeah huh well sometimes uh when you're the same when you're playing music mm-hmm. uh there's kind of a wall in between it's especially actually it's kind of almost opposite because when you have highly 
arranged music, mm-hmm. there seems to be a wall there that you're trying to get through to connect to people. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, that know, makes sense. But if it's improvised kind of music, like more of a Cuban jazz kind of stuff, everybody's involved anyway, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but like, like playing with Morning Dove, you know, if something happens in the audience, I try to make it part of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, bring it in, you know, especially if, you know, whatever happens, we'll talk about it after the song or something, you know? <laughs> but, um, it's it's kind of weird. You also have to change your rhythm depending on the crowd, like the feel. Like, I'm sure you've done that too, you know? Like, you end up in a room and you start the first song and realize everybody's not in the same mood I'm in. Right. <laughs> All of a sudden, you know, I was doing 65 on a train, and mm-hmm. this crowd seems to be doing about 10. <laughs> so, so how do you change that? I mean, do you actually maybe slow or speed up the song? Yeah, slow it down, actually, or? yeah you, you can kind of slow down and speed up, but uh, a lot of times what happens is uh, you either, you know, change maybe a set order, mm-hmm. maybe a couple of songs. Or what mostly happens is you try to get the crowd to come along with you. Right. You know? But if you can't, you know, then you either have the choice of, you know, power through mm-hmm. or just ignore them. Now, there's some gigs we've played, you know, God, I've been playing live like 20 years. So there's some like live gigs that happen that are just, you just end up completely cutting off a bad crowd. Right. And, it becomes practice on stage, you know? That's really I interesting. I had not thought of that before in terms of musicians playing because I just assumed they would be so focused on playing or, like, listening to the drummer and the bassist mm-hmm. or just, like, listening for for what they're supposed to be doing next and kind of right. ignoring the audience. But though... Right. You are, of course, listening to your band. You are also consciously aware of whether or not the audience is into it. Sure. And you're yeah. trying to get them into it as you're doing the thing you're doing, which is playing a song. Yeah, exactly. And and there are some places like, you know, I don't really play sports bars anymore. Right. I used to in college, but that's just the worst place a musician yeah. could ever play, you know. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've I've seen what musicians have to go through in those situations, and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's tough. I I have nightmares still where I wake up in the middle of the night thinking I'm on stage and there's like you know a bunch of frat boys oh. with their back to me, yeah, you know, two feet from me, uh, playing beer pong or something. It's horrifying. Yeah. So. What is that like when you go to the sports bar and you're maybe just the solo guitars, like you're just. You know, it's just you and your acoustic. I got to a point where I assumed when I would see just like a guy in a corner playing that he was or she was consciously aware that they were background noise. Ignored. Yeah. Right. You either, I mean, there's two ways to go with that. If you're playing original music, mm-hmm. it's just oh, the worst. Brutal. Ever. Yeah. Yes. It's brutal. And so if you're playing covers, that just goes with the territory. So. <laughs> consciously don't book those kind of shows anymore because mostly what i do is original stuff so Mm -hmm. like um if you're playing original music then the crowd at a a place like that is either going to latch on you pretty quick and you can you know go through whatever the show is or they turn into like a typical sports bar ignoring you talking you know craziness and as a performer to me you either have to just power through and ignore it or you turn into Bill Hicks in Chicago. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which happened oh, to me. Gosh, yeah. I'm not allowed in several sports bars anymore because I just lost it a few times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen some stuff. I saw years ago Jeff Tweedy go off on uh, an audience because, like, a bunch of people in front of the audience, in front of the stage, were listening and attentive. But there mm-hmm. is a portion in the back that just wanted to talk. And he right. stopped the show and said, hey, what do I need to do? Like, what can we do to get you to pay attention? And it just, it kind of rubbed us the wrong way. But at the same time, like, yeah, what yeah. <laughs> you bought a ticket to the show. Why are you standing in the back and talking? Yeah. You could have had wine at home and put on the CD if you wanted to talk with your friends. Like, you didn't have to come here and talk so much. 
that's absolutely this yeah as a performer too there's something happens and like you know what we were talking about how you're if you're on stage then you're trying to connect with a crowd and you're getting the feeling of the crowd at the same time you're performing at mm-hmm. the same time you're remembering the story you're trying to tell a story or whatever and then at some point in time you you think is you you might hear somebody in the back of the crowd like that and then you think are they ruining the experience of other people yeah you know, absolutely that, that makes me angry too if if you have um you know, like somebody in the audience. I don't want somebody in the audience going home thinking, well, that guy had a microphone and could have asked somebody to be quiet, and it didn't. Oh, you know. right. Well, last night I was at a show, and um, uh, some friends of mine were performing, and the band that was performing right before them, they were playing like louder music, but their last song was a little more uh intense and and thoughtful and it was like kind of a soft song so it was really one where they're like pulling you in and uh it was they sounded great but there's this group in the back that was just being as loud as they could possibly be just in talking to each other and i almost felt like i needed to say something and i had just yeah. gotten there you know <laughs> but yeah, i felt well, I- bad cuz i was like this band can definitely hear them. So obviously they're talking too loud. They don't need to talk this loud. They are making this worse for everyone who wants to be there right now. That's awful. Those yeah. people are worst. Yeah. It's just obliviousness and have, yeah, they haven't had too much to drink. <laughs> they have no idea. Um, yeah. the, the best way I've seen that handled before i don't think it would work everywhere but i saw um a singer songwriter kind of guy who was playing a show and there was this girl like right in the front row who was actually um had turned around there was like a standing show mm-hmm. and she had turned around it was like filming the crowd in front of him oh my god so, yeah so he, that went on and then you know he didn't say anything and then she did it again and then he was like could you please i can see your phone mm-hmm. you know just you know take a picture it's fine <laughs> and then she took a phone call in the next oh in the in the next in the next song and he actually asked her can can i talk to you a second and like got down on the end of the stage with his microphone and interviewed her oh <laughs> wow hysterical. there yeah. is i went to a victor wooten show uh at the handlebar uh may she rest yeah. in peace <laughs> and, um, yeah right uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was with two of my best friends, and there's this guy right behind us who was drunk and was making this weird noise, um, like he was musically accompanying the band. And he kept doing it; it was annoying the crap out of everyone. And at one, like it happened long enough that Victor Wooten was like. This guy wants everyone to pay attention to him. So let's right. just give him the floor right now. And he's like, go do your thing that you were doing. And then he uh, made the noise again. And he was like, all right, that's enough. Stop that. And the guy finally stopped it for the rest. Of it. I think he even left out of embarrassment. But like, <laughs> that was the best way to handle it. It was like, okay, you have the floor for a second. Now shut up. And then he just kind of went away. That must have been highly loud if, if Victor could hear it on stage. That's terrible. He was that's that awful. close. Uh, oh, and be and, and and really was trying to be heard. Uh, and it was really just like an obnoxious noise he was making too. And it was it was really strange as well. Like I don't. That's so weird. People are weirdos. Uh, yeah, it's that's not the sort of thing you have at an improv show, but you'll definitely have that at a stand-up show, and I think that's why you'll hear a lot of stand-ups and musicians uh, like pal around because they get each other. It's very similar gigs, right. very similar road life. Um, oh yeah, you know, it's, yep. it's a lot of it is uh, is fairly similar, but then when it comes to the work they're creating, maybe it's very different. And that's where I see a comparison with musicians and improvisers because in both cases they are taking something uh and the musicians are jamming mm-hmm. and they're taking something and using it as inspiration to get them somewhere else and they have no idea what's coming next necessarily they do sure. have 
some stuff that they have to keep there. A musician has to keep the time signature, the key, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then an improviser has to keep the world they've created. If I'm playing your mom, I can't suddenly become your principal out of just nowhere. Like, I have to continue to be your mom. I, that's kind of okay. like keeping the time or yeah. the same key, you know? Like, it's those sort of things are there, and we don't necessarily know what's happening next, and we're working with other people and giving them some space and taking some space up, just knowing how to flow forward with that. Yeah. It's a fun and interesting, but also sometimes scary process. Yeah, it's rewarding. Yeah. But, but the, you know, the scary part is it can go one of two ways. Well, it can go three ways. Usually, you know, like for a musician, you can either have a really good night, mm-hmm. a really bad night, or just totally uninspiring. Yeah. You know, it just happened, you know? Yeah. So those, are those so- nights really disappointing, especially if it's like a really big gig. And mm-hmm. sometimes the juice just isn't there. And it's not because you weren't wanting it to be there or weren't putting effort in there. It just, for whatever reason, just didn't seem to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of like, yeah, that's the worst. Is You're in the middle of a gig, gig and feeling like, you know, it's just uh, going through the motions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's depressing. When you played a song a bunch of times, and you're like, oh, I'm not really feeling this right now. No, and that's the worst part is, you know, like you were saying, like, I'm sure it's the same for what you guys do, too, when you're traveling. It's the same thing. You've done it, you know, if you're on a tour, you've done it three or four weeks in a row, and by that fourth week, you pretty much know exactly what's going to happen on everything, but you're still trying to be inspirational. Yeah. You know? Is there any trick that you use to keep things fresh? Humor. <laughs> that's <laughs> honest to God. It you know, um, that's the best thing to do for that kind of feeling is is either you know putting one of my favorite things I did. I used to play in this band, um, and we would tour and play for you know five weeks or six weeks of time, and then take a break, and then you know by the third or fourth week getting on stage was kind of like okay we're about to go through the motions or whatever but then like the keyboard player sometimes would like put like a a muppets you know picture or something on my monitor that would have like a bubble thought coming out of it like nice ass or something like that nobody in the audience can see it but i can see it uh, oh it just made it you know like your juices go again you know you're like all right here we are it was great yeah a buddy of mine, he's a bassist, and we're in a group text with our other best friends, and I would, I was watching the show and sending the group ridiculous text messages, assuming he wasn't going to see them until after the show. He was looking at them during the show. Like, whenever he walked back, when it just looked like a musician doing a musician thing with their instrument, like, oh, he's just got to work the knobs over there. Uh, change oh, the new song, and he was looking oh. at his text message. Oh, that's so good! <laughs> he was yeah. sitting there just like laughing about it, and then going back and <laughs> starting the next song. <laughs> ridiculous! Yeah. That those things, those little things help so much. You know, just a tiny little thing like that. Yeah, um, yeah, it's weird. Anything to break the monotony, even if yeah. it's just a tiny little. You know. I'm sending someone a message or, or putting a picture of a Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> this is nice, I ass or something on it, you know. <laughs> God, thanks. Thanks, Cookie Monster. <laughs> when you approach writing music, um, I mean, obviously, when you're trying to make your own album, you're not commissioned to do it. So it's kind of whatever comes to you. Uh, and and what makes sense for you to, to put out? What is your process in that? Oh boy, um, you well usually if I make a record, it's a collection of songs that I've made for the past year or so, mm-hmm. and um, I don't want to say they're like autobiographical or whatever, but usually I mean it's just imp- inspiration that comes up from either you know maybe watching a documentary or something or reading a book mm-hmm. and then i think about a, a certain subject and i'll write about it or maybe it's something that i've just imagined you know um 
and then I, I kind of start with with the idea of where the song is going to end up. That's the one mm-hmm. thing that bothers me sometimes when people start writing songs is they just start writing words and they don't know where it's going to end up. Mm. It, it's bizarre to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I teach songwriting and stuff like that too, but you know, you kind of got to need you need to know what the thing is about. You know, mm-hmm. what are you trying to say? What are you, are you actually trying to say anything? Are you, and I mean, there are some musicians that I really love that have some abstract lyrical content where it's mm-hmm. like they're just really describing something. You know? Right. So maybe um, they're kind of describing a feel. They're just trying to get a feeling across. Sure. It's you know, it's not a story. It's not anything mm-hmm. like that. Like I love Nick Drake. Nick mm-hmm. Drake was uh, brilliant at describing. You know, not I don't want to say melancholy, but mm-hmm. but you know his surroundings, and that mm-hmm. was it. It would be a song about those surroundings, and it's kind of like a picture. You get a picture, and yeah, great. I love that sort of thing. So, um, and when you put a record together, though, they're, they're, to me, it should be like songs related to each other somehow. But mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes they're not. <laughs> sometimes they're just things that that, that just happened, and yeah. during the time you were writing, and you're like, I'll put that in there, and and but to the listener, that might be related to you know. So you don't mind to say, but yeah, right. That's process. Just make stuff, you know? right. When you're when you have that those lyrics together, and mm-hmm. you are saying like now I have to put music to this, mm-hmm. are you consciously trying to, or which approach are you trying to take? Are you trying to take the approach of well, this feels like this kind of song, yes, or yes. are you saying it these these lyrics have this kind of feeling, and how can I make that kind of feeling through instrumentation? Or is it both? It's both. Actually, I was going to say it's a little bit of both. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you will, sometimes I keep like a a journal where I keep lyrical Mm -hmm. ideas and stuff. And then I'll sometimes just write stuff. And then I'll try to put, you know, those lyrical content to music. And I need to fit the music to the words. Sometimes I'll have a musical idea that needs to have words to it. Mm -hmm. So it's the other way around. And I know there are some songwriters who do it one way only, you know. Right. that's it you know but i don't know you know i don't know who's right or wrong i see you know like did did you ever watch the there's a documentary called don't look back about bob dylan i have not seen that i think i've heard of it it was it was made in the mid 60s and it's really great i'm thinking of a different one it was during um his kind of height of his you know folk music change over into rock and roll Mm -hmm. and um there's lots of footage where he's at a typewriter just typing away and oh wow a lot of those things he was typing came out in songs, you know, like on the later record. And so I know like he probably was just, you know, he had a rhythm in his mind where he was trying to write poetry to the rhythm. Mm-hmm. And then he would find a, you know, a, a riff that would go with it. And that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. And I do that and then do it the other way too, you know. So. Yeah, I've heard different things. Um, I've heard, I, I saw uh, Something uh, I guess it was Hell Freezes Over the Eagles. Oh, that big documentary thing. Well, not the big one that came out recently, but the thing that came out in the early '90s when they got back together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they released it on VHS. Uh, I'm sure you can get it on DVD now. And the song "Get Over It," Don Henley had written the lyrics for it, and Glenn Fry looked it over and was like, "That feels like a Chuck Berry song." We could do like kind of a Chuck Berry sort of style, going back oh, to that uh, idea of like in the style of. In the style of, yeah. And yeah, so that's, that's how they came up with the music for that, and and figured out the song. But then and, also like Elton John writes the music, and his writing partner writes the lyrics. So he's right. coming up with those crazy musical parts to lyrics yeah. that are already written, and that to me seems crazy hard. <laughs> like to, it, those yeah. kind of songs that he was he makes, I would assume the music came first. Yeah, well, that partnership of him and Bernie Taupin, or mm-hmm. I mean, that's just one of the famous kind of Rogers and Hammers, Hammerstein. Hammerstein? Yeah, anyway, yeah, <laughs> I can never remember the name. Yeah, <laughs> um, those kind of famous duos where they just kind of fit together. But yeah, you're right. If you look at the lyrics on some of those uh, Elton John songs, like um. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. If you just read the lyrics and didn't know the music that went with it, <laughs> you would think, "How the hell right. am I going to make music out of this?" Yeah. You know? And I, I assume that Benny and the Jets wasn't 
written as Benny, 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 <laughs> Benny and the Jets. Oh, no. <laughs> it's no. probably just like, Benny and the Jets. <laughs> and then Elton's like, why don't I riff those lyrics? Yeah, I'll just put b- 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 Benny right here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, that would be hilarious. <laughs> but that I also a- heard Sting talk about, I think, um, I think it was Shape of My Heart. And yeah. uh, the guitar, his guitarist, Dominic, came to yep. him with the guitar part. And oh. Sting was just sort of like, hmm. And he has said, I watched something, because uh, I love Sting, so it was like a documentary thing. And he was like, yeah, I found those lyrics under a rock, because I heard the music, and then I just went for a walk because I couldn't think of the lyrics and was just walking around the garden looking at stuff and I picked up a rock and then all the lyrics just came to me weird yeah I'm sure it was just like some of the lyrics yeah right <laughs> like unless the whole they were four minute song but <laughs> were there mushrooms under the rock <laughs> <laughs> I know right like what were you on I love that record that's one of my favorite records oh, it's got all that crazy time signatures in it and mm-hmm. Vinny Caliuta on drums oh I heard a crazy story about that drummer um, punching Sting during, I guess, those sessions. Because he wasn't <laughs> his drummer after that song. I mean, after that album. That's was, hilarious. Well, it was something like he was wanting to play something and Sting was like, nah, I'm not so sure about that. This is what I heard. A friend of mine who's oh. a drummer was in a class and that drummer uh, spoke. He like uh, visited the class. And um, this, so his telling of the story was like, Sting didn't like something and said like, no, don't do it that way. And he was like, oh, but I want to. It sounds good. And Sting was like, I, I don't want it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it. And the guy like hit him. And so to me, it's like, well, it's Sting's solo album, right? Yeah. <laughs> like I understand as a musician, you want to really push yourself and strive for things. But, you know. If it's yeah, not like, the idea or the like thing that the singer, the solo artist wants, um, you kind of at some you can make a case, but don't go off hitting the guy. No, <laughs> disagree. No, that's kinda, yeah, that's kind of crazy. Um, if the, if the song ends up weird, anyone listening to it isn't gonna go. Well, maybe a musician would, but like most people who pick up the Sting album, they're not gonna go. That album wasn't good because of that drummer. They're just going to say Sting's album isn't good. Right. That's exactly right. So yeah. it's on him to say, I don't want you to do that, though. Right, right. Well, and if it, if it was that drummer from that record, Vinny Caliuta, he used to know, he's kind of known for being strong-headed. And, um, mm. you know, he had played with uh, Frank Zappa before mm-hmm. that and a couple other things. But he's... There's there's one specific song on that record where he does this thing and and most people listening to the record won't catch it but it's a song that's in like um, seven times it's like seven eight time and normally you would have someone counting to seven one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven one mm-hmm. two like that well what he's doing on a cymbal is he's playing every other beat which sounds normal so he's going like one two three four five six seven like that right oh wow. Every other measure, it ends up being on the off beat. So if he's going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, oh, six, wow. seven, one, three, but it works perfectly. And I don't I wonder think what people, song it is. Uh, I think yeah, I'll have to look it up for you. It's maybe it's Saint Augustine. I could see that. I could. That's such a crazy, unreal song. I think it is that one. It's kind of got like a cowboy feel to it. No. That's, um, love is stronger than That's water. the one. Yeah, I think it's that dun, dun, one. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. That's the it's one. It's like yeah, the yeah. organs are at the beginning. That's it, yep. Kenny Kirkland, man. Oh, yeah, man. That was oh. a phenomenal album. Like, I've heard a lot of people front on all of Sting's albums except for Dreaming of the Blue Turtle. It's rude. Mm ridiculous to ignore Tin Sumner's tales. It's ridiculous, you're right. Yeah. I I I haven't seen any footage from that stuff, but I know he did like that that really cool documentary on the Dream of Blue Turtle record where it was called like Bring on the Night and it was recorded in a castle in France and like the footage of it is just perfect. Um but yeah, I mean like Brantford Marsalis is on there uh, telling him he's a motherfucker. Oh, <laughs> so, I didn't, I've never seen that. Oh, it's so good. Um, 
because you know Branford's from New Orleans, right. and uh, he's got that southern kind of thing about him. And they're in France, and they're going through these songs, and they're really tough songs to get, you know. And at one point in time, Branford says, "Man, you are a motherfucker <laughs> like that." And Stink kind of bows up at him, and then, you know Branford's like, "Hey, man, that's a compliment where I'm from. <laughs> that's a compliment. It means that you're really good." You oh wow, good. I didn't know that happened. <laughs> That's crazy. I can totally tell. Like, I mean, that was also right after the police, right? And they got in fistfights. That group. It was crazy. Like, they love each other, but I guess that's just like, yeah, the type of guys they are, where they'll just like get in a punch up and then be like, "All right, let's get dinner." Yeah, (laughs) there's there's some fantastic footage. I think it's a maybe at Shea Stadium. It's one of their last gigs with the police. And Andy Summers is trying to be like he's he's talking with NTV, I think, and it's mm-hmm. the three guys sitting there, mm-hmm. and you can tell Sting and Stuart Copeland are over it. They're they don't care about any of this stuff. So Copeland is reading a newspaper during the interview. Oh man! And Sting is reading kind of over his shoulder while Andy's answering the questions. And so Copeland starts to turn the page, and Sting is like, oh, he grabs the page and pulls it back, and then they get into a wrestling match on the ground to get the paper from each other. And so Copeland pins him to the ground, but at the same time, he actually cracked his rib. So Sting has his rib cracked, but he played the whole show that night normal. You know, like, yeah, he played with a cracked rib. Doing that hoppy dance that he would do on those police. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he did the dance, but he played the show. It's but, all yeah. that yoga. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, all that weird yoga stuff. Yeah, they yeah, start doing yoga. Uh, they were <laughs> hilarious, but they were ridiculous. It's very one of my ridiculous. favorite bands too. Uh, yeah, mine too. They're you know fantastic all three stuff. of them are just like worthy of anyone's attention. You know, like <laughs> yeah. That's like a band of three legends. Yeah, it was like a super group before it was a super group. Right, you know, right, exactly. Anyway, now the audience knows that I'm not only a comedy nerd, I'm a sting nerd. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Stingy, as I like to call it. <laughs> My buddy Stingy. Stingy. I think um, this is a good time to try to figure out something that we could create together. I'm right, wondering cool. if it's uh, uh, maybe what we could do is like if like come up with a uh, like not a not lyrics but maybe a theme and then try to match a genre of music with that or match a style of play with that because we talked about that a decent a bit. So you mean like a topic, right? Like then- you know if it's uh, you know if the topic was barbecue, then it might be like country song. sure yeah um but then also like going a little deeper like talking about the eagle song that was done in the style of chuck berry oh right like even saying like oh that could be in the style of so-and-so yeah this could be interesting let me get an instrument see if i can play and you can hear it oh that'd be cool see here can you hear that Ooh, that sounds beautiful that's a that's a guitar. Let me tune right fast. What kind of guitar is that? This is uh, a Martin guitar. Mm. Um, it's a, a D18. If you're keeping up at home, <laughs> <laughs> which simply means it's like one of their lower models, actually. But uh, one but of my favorites. Martin sound good, if you ask me. All right, yeah, that'll work. All right, yeah, let's think of something. All the topics that are coming to mind are all the like common ones like partying it's like okay that could be anything it could be a pop rock song well you know what's interesting i think is some people who uh like what's her name uh i can't remember her name but if you were to take a song about partying and you make it super dark you Mm. know um like brandy car like do it do it in the style of brandy carlisle and (laughs) yeah like like that a lot more morose Uh, probably (laughs) Yeah, or, or even, I can't remember, her real name was uh, Lizzie or something, but she has like a fake name now. She does hmm. that really low, uh, uh, anyway, I can't remember names today for some reason. Not but yeah, bored. if you could make a party song and it went like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is kind of cool, the dichotomy of that sometimes works, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know 
let's see, what's a theme idea or something that's like, you know, still a topic, but what's something that we've uh, sort of addressed here? Um, okay, brothers fighting. Um, sure. A yeah, brother, brotherly. brotherly relationship. If that was going to be a certain style of music, it'd probably have to be kind of introspective. Yeah, definitely. I, w- I would say it wouldn't be super fast. Right. Agreed. Um, and probably not like in a minor key because mm. it wouldn't be too dark. Hopefully. Hopefully, but, but some yeah, songs still might be. <laughs> maybe uh, if I had to think of that because I have a brother, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, would probably be more in the folky kind of, you know. Uh, Somewhere along in there. Oh, that sounds great. It could be like a uh, James Taylor type song. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. That could be like more If it's of like that. a happy sort of... I mean, like, Fire and Rain is not happy, but... <laughs> right. But, yeah, but you're right. He kind of had, like, uh, you know, he had a couple of them, like, what Shower the People and stuff like that, mm-hmm. even, which were kind of that way. Even the... Uh, something Caroline in, the way- in My Mind. Yeah, Caroline in My Mind yeah. is, uh, you know, yeah. it's it's... There is this longingness to it. Um, right. But also, it's a positive song. It's saying something good about overall about the situation of going to Carolina. That's true. And, and actually, he kind of does that dichotomy thing I was talking about before with Fire and Rain because that song, if you just started to, you know, like if unfortunately you will hear it in grocery stores being played <laughs> as like Muzak, but uh-huh. if you just heard the melody and the chords, you wouldn't think it was that dark subject. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, and speaking is, of the police, they did that a lot too. I mean, they'd have oh, songs yeah. where you're like bopping oh, your head to it. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah. Every breath you take. Yeah. Every breath you take. Uh, King of Pain sounds really like boppy and happy. Don't stand so close to me. It's really like oh, eerie Darn. and creepy. And <laughs> but yeah, creepy. it's like the happiest sounding song ever. Yeah, you're dancing to this weird song subject matter, but <laughs> pretty interesting though. Uh, I like yeah. it when that happens, but you know, me too. Kind of, kind of fits together and as a puzzle piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see. Um, what's another uh, theme? Um, <laughs> maybe like um, getting older. Getting older, yeah, it's a good one. I, you know, I keep thinking about every time we think to say theme. I keep thinking about stupid stuff like Trump, <laughs> which <laughs> would know. be which would be this chord. <laughs> but for me, <laughs> but or maybe what is the uh, what this would be him. <laughs> you can cut that out. Uh, no, that's <laughs> okay. Not getting cut out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, getting older to me, uh, you know, can be, okay. If I had to write a song about getting older, I could either make it, um, kind of a pretty sounding song at the same time as dark, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of sad, maybe more, let's see here. If I had, uh, make a circle kind of thing out of that yeah um and then maybe in the middle bring it up to a resolution to a major Mm. yeah i like that yeah that sounds beautiful man thanks man i'm gonna call it there it is man those are two good wonderful sounding songs (laughs) cool Thank you. You have to go make those now. <laughs> I have to go make those. Yeah. Song about brothers. Song about getting I'll older. You, I'll give you half credit. <laughs> I, I could be in the liner notes. That's true. You could be in the liner notes. That next time. Well, but thanks so much awesome. for being here, man. That was awesome. It's been an honor. I, I miss you guys a lot down here. We'll have to come visit. 
fun, fun episode, and uh, we miss that guy, and I'm so glad that he was able to be on the 50th episode. It was already a special episode, and it made it a little more special to have him on, so that was great, and I hope you learned something. There's a ton of stuff to learn from in there, but also just fun and nerding out, which, of course, you know I love to nerd out. If you enjoyed that, uh, this is your first time listening, why don't you subscribe? You can subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you want to find out more about what Neil is up to, you can go to neilbrooks.com. It links to his Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube accounts. And also, be on the lookout for new music. Both Morning Dove and Neil are working on albums right now, so keep up with that. And you're going to hear something real fun right now. Neil was gracious enough to play the theme song on his acoustic guitar. It might be our new outro music. It's super cool, so we're going to play that in a second. Until next time, be good to each other. for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.